Ephesians chapter 6. But before we get there, you might have noticed the uh, backpacks on the stage today. Today was our uh, collection day for our Christmas backpack project. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you to our church. Our goal was to raise, to collect 50 backpacks. And as of right now, um, if I did my math right, uh, there's 75 um, up here on the stage. And it's not just that we met a goal. I think that's tremendous uh, that we met the goal we set. Um, and it's not just that we gave a bunch of backpacks. But I want you to remember that each of these backpacks represents a child uh, that's going to receive a gift at Christmas that might not have received anything. Um, these backpacks will be distributed in the Memphis area from what we understood. This is part of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board's Christmas backpack project. They've been doing it for several years. It's our first year to jump in with it. But they'll be t we'll be taking these backpacks to Union Avenue Baptist Church this week uh, where they'll collect all the ones from the community and then they have certain areas they'll be distributing those to. So I wanted us to pray this morning before we uh, uh, dive into the sermon and just pray over these backpacks, pray over these families uh, that will be represented, that will be receiving these and will be blessed because it very well could be, I, I believe, that, that God will do this, uh, that there's going to be a child that's going to come to Christ uh, because of the fact that they received this backpack, because of the fact that they received the Bible uh, that's enclosed in those backpacks, because of the fact that they received that story of, the, of Christmas, uh, that true story of Christmas um, that's in there, in those backpacks that tell about Jesus and how He came to this earth to die on a cross for their sins. And so let's pray for this. Father God, how we pray for these children and these families that will be receiving these gifts this Christmas. I know it's such a small thing, it's just a backpack full of some things, but we pray that their hearts would be warmed and, and, and touched by the gift and that they would be excited to open it up. And, and Father, we're thankful for being a part of that. And we do pray uh, for these families that as they receive these gifts and especially as they receive the Bibles and the, the, uh, the gospel tracts and the... Christmas story explanations, Father, I pray that their hearts will be moved and that those families, those children who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that, to, that today, that, that day would be that day, that when they receive that, they open up, that their heart will be open and willing and ready to come to Christ. And Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of our church family, as I know these backpacks were not cheap. I know all the contents, uh, the cost added up quickly. Um, and I know that, that every single one of these I've looked at, they did not skimp, God. They sacrificed and gave and, and stuffed those backpacks to the brim because they are families that wanted to bless our community. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless those um, in our church who were able to do this. Um, reward them, Father. Help them to understand, help them to know um, how their small gift um, is, can make a tremendous impact in your kingdom. And I pray that in any other things, that Father, that we would just continually look to you and we would look for opportunities to uh, be kingdom-minded, um, to see how we can um, point other people to Christ. And Father, as we get into the message today and look at the relationship of parents and children and, and how we are to live together, and uh, Father, and how we are to honor our, our parents and how children are to be obedient and as, uh, how parents are to raise their kids. I pray that, uh, that you would guide our conversations and, and uh, guide my mind as I deliver this message that, that I would be able to deliver uh, the words of grace and direction that we need. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. 
We've been looking at marriage. We've been looking at family over the past several weeks. And today I want to finish that up. I want to wrap up that series I've been uh, doing by looking at Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 4, um, where we're going to study um, the responsibility of children and parents. What, what, do, what do kids owe to their parents and what do parents owe to their kids um, and regardless of your age and, and your stage of life, I hope and pray that there's going to be something in here that, that you, will either bless you, give you some understanding of God's will for your life, or will give you the ability to pass that on to someone else. And so I want to begin uh, by looking at, the, at a child's responsibility uh, to their parents. Let's look in Ephesians 6, verse 1. It says, Their children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now Paul in Ephesians 5 was going through what to do between husbands and wives. In that passage we looked at last week, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, all the way to the end of the chapter, he discussed um, the proper relationship between a husband and wife, that, that submission, that love, that leadership, that respect, all those things, and how marriages must be built upon those things. And now he turns from that instruction to uh, discussing the relationship between parents and kids. But he continues the same idea of submission. He's been working through this idea of submission in chapter 5. Back in chapter 5, verse 21, he tells us that we are to submit to one another. In verse 22, he talks about how wives are to submit to their husbands who lead them in love toward the Lord. And now he moves to the subject of submission to one's parents. And he describes it in verse 3 as obedience, and then he connects it in, in the next verse to that, the bigger issue, I believe, of honor. Now, if you've read the Bible much, if you've been around Scripture much, you would know that, that Ephesians 6, 2, and 3 are a quotation of what? The Ten Commandments, right? Exodus chapter, chapter 20. Um, verse 21, God commands, um, honor your father and mother. Um, actually, Exodus 20, verse 12, I'm sorry. Um, but, but basically, in those commands, um, in those Ten Commandments, he's laying out the basics of life. And I want us to first understand that whenever um, the Lord in the Ten Commandments, commandment number five, when he commands us to honor father and mother, that is a command to honor father and mother. He is telling us there that if we're going to walk in step with the Lord, we have to honor our parents. I mean, let's think about the Ten Commandments for just a minute. Um, in those Ten Commandments, you might know that the first four commandments deal with man's relationship to God. That first commandment is that there's one God. The second commandment, do not make idols. Third commandment, do not use the Lord's name in vain. Fourth commandment, the keep the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath, and keep it holy. That's all focused on how our, we as individuals relate to the Lord, how we are obedient with the Lord. The next six commandments deal with our earthly relationships. talks about don't steal, don't commit adultery, um, all those kind of things. Do not murder, um, those type of things. Do not covet. But notice that the first earthly commandment that God deals with in the Ten Commandments related to our earthly relationships is the first relationship that we make and that with our parents. That he turns immediately from discussing how we are to honor the Lord, how we are to serve the Lord, to children, honor your father and mother. Now, why would he do that? I think it's because our relationship with God, in many ways, is dictated by, is built upon our relationship with our parents. I can remember when I was in high school, 
And there was, um, I had a lot of buddies that kind of had that mentality, that idea that, man, I'm going to turn 18. I'm getting out of the house. See you later. I'm gone. I'm getting away. Um, and maybe when you were growing up, it was the same way. And there was that mentality, I've just got to get out from underneath their thumb. I want to get away, do my own thing, be free and all that kind of thing. But if you look to scripture, what you find is not this idea of abandoning the family. You find the idea of a lifelong command to honor your family. Throughout all of Scripture, family is right at the core of the individual's life, rightfully so, because how can we say we honor and love the Lord if we do not honor and love our parents? In Ephesians 6, verse 1, he says, children obey in the Lord. He's connecting our relationship with the Lord with our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our Heavenly Father with our relationship with our earthly father and mother. I think about it in Romans chapter 13. It talks about how we are to to honor the authorities that are placed upon us. Well, who is the primary authority that is placed over a child's life in this earth? It's not the government. It's not a school. It's mom and dad. And so our spiritual walk is dependent upon the honor that we give to our father and mother. And I would also say this. We do not outgrow the command to honor father and mother. There is no expiration date on that command. It is not that you turn 18 and suddenly you don't have to do that anymore. It's not that you turn 21 or 25 and it falls off the to-do list. It is a lifelong command. And regardless of our age, we are commanded to give honor and respect to our parents. Now, I think that looks a little different as we go through life. For younger children, for instance, it's primarily demonstrated in the form of obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That for little kids, for teenagers, that those are in the house, the primary way that they honor their father and mother is simply by being obedient to their commands. I heard a story the other day about these two boys, two teenage boys, and they were complaining about how um, their moms were just always getting on to them. They always were just giving them a hard time. Um, I know y'all never had those, those kind of things in your house, did you? Um, just always in fights, always that kind of thing. And one of the boys said, man, I came up with this revolutionary idea, and my mom suddenly is not giving me a hard time anymore. And the other kid was like, well, what did you do? What's the trick? He said, man, he said, my mom tells me to do stuff, and I just do it. And he said, man, the relationship is great. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes the same kind of thing. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, in Colossians 3.20, when it says obey your parents in everything, I don't think it's telling you that if your parents command you to sin, you are to do that. I believe there's a limit there. Um, but I would also say, that, you know, God would never condone for you to, to sin. He would never condone for you to follow your parents into sin. But I would also say godly parents would never purposely lead you into sin. But for, chi- for children, for teenagers in the room today, those of you who are here Um, the primary way that you'll live out the command to honor your father and mother is to obey your parents. But I know how it goes. I I know the conversations because I was a youth minister for long enough and I heard enough, uh, this statement right here, but parents just don't get me. They just don't know what it's like to grow up in 2019. They don't know what it's like to be a teenager these days. And you know what? They're right to an extent. Because things are different now from when I was a kid and from when many of you were kids. I mean, we didn't have cell phones as kids, much less smartphones that you can get into so much on. We didn't have the Internet or social media or the pressure that comes along with that. We actually did math problems on paper. You remember that? 
He didn't always have a calculator. Um, we actually used this thing in our house called a telephone, and you talked on it. Uh, you didn't just text on it. You talked on it. Um, we rented movies from this place called Blockbuster, and you had to actually drive there. Uh, you couldn't just download them on your phone. And you used to find entertainment in this place called the Great Outdoors. It's really crazy. I mean, things were, are different today than they are then. But at the, at the root of it all, you know what? Things are really not that different. Because the struggles and the difficulties that kids face today are really some of the same, same struggles we faced then. The struggle to fit in. The struggle to find your place. The struggle to fight against temptation. The details are different, yeah, but... At the heart of it, it's the same struggle. And when you, as a teenager or as a child, choose to show honor and respect and obedience and recognize the wisdom that your mom and dad have, you begin to glean from that wisdom. You begin to grow from that wisdom. Something I've learned along the way is that with humility comes wisdom. You don't grow wiser until you first grow humble. You know what I mean? If you think you know it all, you're never going to grow. You're never going to learn anything else because you, you're never going to look outside of yourself for any answers or for any kind of advice or wisdom because you think you've got it all figured out. But when you humble yourself, when you come to the point of humility and say, you know what, I don't think I know it all. When you, when you come to that point as a child and say, you know what, maybe my mom and dad knew, do know some things. Maybe they have been through life. You begin then to reap that wisdom. And, you know, what's, what's crazy, what's great about parenthood is that what I have found in working with teenagers and in my own life is that whenever I begin to give respect, I in turn receive freedom. That as, as parents, generally, as they see their children grow in responsibility and in maturity, they then begin to give more responsibility and give more freedom because respect breeds respect. Because when, when a child begins to show that maturity, then the parents say, you know what, okay, I think it's time to turn loose. And so kids, let me just say this, for those in the room, I know there's not very many in the first service, but for those in the room, um, do you know what your parents really want for you? One of the things that they really want, or many things, but one of the things they really want, they, they don't want you to go through the same mistakes they did. They don't want you to suffer the same consequences they did. Um, they don't want you to go through the heartache and the pain and, the, and the, do the dumb things that they did. And so as crazy as it may seem, they're, they're, they don't give rules to squash fun. They give rules, you know this, parents, because you're trying to guide your children and protect them from harm. I had a, a, a mom of one of our teenagers one time tell me this. She said, you know, when your kids are small, um, the battles are mostly physical. It's don't touch that. Put that down. Step away from that. And she said when, you're, when your kids were small, when her girls and, and sons were small, she said you could, she could literally just walk over and pick them up and remove them from the temptation. You remember that, those days? When you just say, okay, boop, I'm going to pull you away from this. We're going to go over here and we're going to take a time out. We're going to get away from it. And that was the way that you dealt with those problems. But she said that as her kids became teenagers, she realized that the battles were no longer physical. They were emotional and they were mental. And there were a lot of times where she wished, she said, she wished I could just say, stop it. Don't do that. But she couldn't. She couldn't because they had grown up and because there were situations where she had to let them make their own decisions. And she said, I, you know, I just wish they would listen to the wisdom that I want to give them in so many situations. She, but she said, because I don't want them to endure the same mistakes I endure. 
I had a kid one time tell me this. Um, one, of, one of our youth guys told me one time, he said, you know, my dad, he said, my dad just keeps trying to tell me what to do. Um, and he said, but I, I just need to make my own mistakes. Because in the end, that'll make me a better person. Let me tell you, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it would be like my son coming up to me and saying, Dad, you know, I know that the stove is hot, and I know you told me not to touch the stove, but let me stick my hand in the stove a few times because it'll make me a better person. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make you a better person. It makes you hurt. And so sometimes we get so prideful, we get so arrogant that we refuse to listen to any advice. And that applies to all of us, not just kids. Um, we get so arrogant that we think that we've got it figured out even whenever it's obvious advice, all because we want to say, I did it my way. But it's not worth it. Instead, we have to humble ourselves and receive wisdom. And you know what the great thing is? Um, the reward for children who obey their parents and honor their father and mother. What does verse 3 say? It says that the promise they receive is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In other words, dad and mom's wisdom might actually keep you alive. That's what the Word of God says. And so for younger children, they demonstrate honor through obedience. And for older children, Scripture tells us that honor is demonstrated primarily through encouragement and through care. Turn in your Bibles over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 1. Paul has given instructions to Timothy of how to uh, um, give advice to those he was ministering to. And he says this, it says in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Honor is shown through care. Back when Kim and I got married, um, now 15 and a half years ago, uh, I don't remember a whole lot of details of the wedding. I, I was thinking about this yesterday because we came up here to a wedding at the church for um, Davy Hug and his new wife, Haley. And... Um, you know, so every time you go to a wedding, you start thinking about, back, back, about your own wedding. And I really don't remember a whole lot of details because it was kind of just all a blur now. But I do remember that when we sat down at the rehearsal dinner, um, you know, when it came time to give all the speeches and all that kind of stuff, my father-in-law popped up, and uh, I didn't know what he was going to say. Uh, I kind of never know what he's going to say. But he got up, and he stood behind Kim, and he said, You know, Kim, he said, When you were a baby, I changed your diapers. And one of these days, you're going to be changing mine. You know, and it was kind of that moment where we kind of we were like, oh, I don't want to think about that. Oh, you know, and but and we laughed about it because that's just how, you know, I mean, it was a funny moment. But in reality, that is reality. Parents age. Health fails. It's a reality of the fall. We live in, a, in a, an age of death because of sin in the world. And so death awaits us all unless Jesus comes back first. But one of the greatest privileges that we have as, a, as children 
I believe, is to honor our parents by caring for them in their later years. I believe that is a privilege, a calling on our lives. Now, he says there in 1 Timothy 5, he says, he says what do you say there in verse 4? He says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first loan or show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. I've watched it as a minister over the years. I've watched um, various individuals who have had to care for their elderly parents um, all the way up to the point of death and who have given hours and hours and days and weeks and years of their lives and, and money like couldn't be imagined uh, to give their parents the very best care of all. Um, what a blessing to watch that. What a blessing to see the people of God doing the work of God. First Timothy 5 says, it reminds us there that when we do that, when we care for our aging parents, you are doing the Lord's work of honoring them. You are doing the, wor- the Lord's work of serving them. But I would also add that honor includes encouragement as well. In verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Encourage him as you would a father. In other words, it is implying there um, that we have a responsibility not just to wait for our parents to become so elderly that we have to help them physically, but that we are to encourage them and to care for them even now. And so for the younger, we see that the primary way that we honor is through obedience. For the older, we see the primary way we honor is through encouragement and through care. But now let's look at verse 4. Ephesians chapter five, uh, 6, verse 4. And let's see here what Paul commands us about parents and the, the responsibility of parents to their children. He says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That, those two words right there, discipline and instruction, bring to my mind Psalm chapter 127, uh, verse 3 through 5, which says that, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Those have become some favorite verses for me and Kim over the years, ever since the Lord gave us children. Um, and if you go in our house, you'll see that there's some little paintings and things of arrows through the house that remind us of, of these verses because uh, like, like arrows in the hands of an archer or children in the hands of parents. And, and it, it, it gives, I can't help but think of that picture of, of someone who is out um, shooting, an archer shooting a bow. And if I want that bow to hit the target, what do I have to do? I have to aim that bow in the right direction. That, I mean, that arrow, I'm sorry. Um, I have to aim that bow and arrow in the right direction. And I have to make sure that that arrow flies in the right direction. And so I have to pay attention to where I'm aiming it. And so how do I make sure that that arrow flies in the right direction? I think we could describe what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, with two, two big words, grace and consistency. That as parents, we must learn to give grace and we must parent consistently. It said there in verse, in verse um, 4, it says, it says, parents, or it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let's think about that word grace for a minute. You know, to the Colossian church, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I mean, dads, let's be honest. I think we would say that, that more often than we care to admit, um, 
we find ourselves getting hot with anger with our kids. I know for me that's the truth. I mean, they disobey, they don't listen, they don't do what you want them to do, they disrespect the mother. And, and since we're the physically larger individuals, what do you begin to do? You just, the, the temper begins to boil, and you just say, I'm just going to get loud. I'm just going to start yelling. I'm just going to start shouting. I'm just going to get angry. And sometimes as parents, we might even be tempted to resort to trying to instigate things with our kids, trying to make them angry. But the Lord God says here, do not provoke your children to anger. And so the Lord is reminding us that when it comes to parenting, we must lead with grace. We must lead with grace. I mean, just as the Lord has offered us grace and mercy in extending us the invitation of salvation, we must learn to balance discipline and grace. I think what I've learned as a parent is that it's often just as important how I say something as it is what I say. That it is just important for me to think about the way I'm saying something, and it can be just as powerful as the very content of the words that I'm saying. Kim was reading a book, a Christian book on parenting by a girl named Amber Leah, and she said this. She said, Iron fists chisel stony hearts, but graceful hands shape responsive hearts. And I think that's true. That if we constantly neglect grace, if we constantly neglect love and compassion in our parenting, you know what we do? We chisel stony hearts. We turn the hearts of our children away from us. Now, it's most definitely a balancing act for sure. I mean, if you, if you err way too far on the side of strict consequence and I'm just going to be harsh with my kids, you're going to provoke your children to anger and you're going to turn their hearts away from you. If you, if you err way too far on the side of grace and you never give consequence, what happens? Your kids begin to think that you're a pushover and they think they can get anything by on you. And what makes it even more difficult is you have, if you have more than one child, they're all different, right? And you have to parent them a little differently. I mean, some of you might have a child who is very strong-willed and you have to be very strict with them and you have to be very um, tough on them because they're just going to give it right back to you if you don't. And some of you may have a child that, that's, very, that's very much a pleaser. You know, and if you even act like you're angry with them, they're going to, they're going to begin to cry. And so it, it's difficult because we have to not only parent them consistently, but we have to know our kids and we have to learn to lead them the way they need to be led. In other words, there's no right, one right, perfect way that's going to fit every single child. You have to know the heart and the mind of your child and then lead them with grace. And that grace is fueled by love. The other day my wife was telling me a story about one of our boys. Um, and she said that he, he told her that... Uh, he told her that he, he said, Mom, you, just must, you must just hate me because you're always just getting on to me. And you're always just um, correcting me, and I'm always just in trouble. And she began to try to explain to him, no, son, it's not hate. It's actually love, that it would be hate for me just to let you do whatever you want to do. Um, and, and, and she began to try to explain that to him. And after a minute, he kind of just looked at her and said, well, you just love me too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's love, is finding the balance with that child, giving them the grace that Christ gave you. But then I would add this, that we then have to parent them consistently. He said there in verse 4, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I cannot hear those two words and not think about professional athletes when I hear those words, discipline and instruction. And I think about the hours and hours and hours that professional athletes put in to hone their craft 
to get really good at basketball or baseball or tennis or whatever, soccer, whatever it might be, football, um, and the hours and time and energy they spend you know, with a coach and in training and in the weight room, all so that they can be the best at their game. I was listening to an audiobook this week, and the guy was talking about in the audiobook that if, you want, if, if someone wants to be really, really good at something like the best ever, um, it requires a minimum of 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours. In the book, he was talking about how the Beatles, uh, before the Beatles came to America and really became this huge thing, they had spent over 10,000 hours performing in, in England and also in Germany. Uh, 10,000 hours. And to stay on top of their game, they can't coast. The, those professional athletes can't just say, well, I've arrived. I don't have to go exercise anymore. I don't have to go try to practice anymore. They have to stay on top of it. It takes continuous discipline and instruction. Well, as parents, if we're going to lead our kids to live out their faith, we have to consistently put in the time, the discipline, instruction. If we're going to teach them to navigate this world by faith, it takes daily Discipline instruction. Much like the parents in the Gospels who were bringing their children to Jesus so that he might bless them, you know, we as parents have to daily bring our kids to the feet of the Lord through his word. We have to daily bring our kids to the feet of the Lord by, by modeling before them godly behavior, by involving them in the, in the body of Christ, by involving them in the work of the Lord. You know, what I've come to realize um, as a parent is that um, two of my greatest fears as a parent are, are this, uh, that my kids aren't going to follow in my footsteps of faith. That's the greatest. And then also, I always have this thought in my mind. Man, I sure hope I don't mess them up. I sure hope I don't do something that just messes them up, that sends them down the wrong path. Um, and usually I begin to think those that things after a really rough day. You know those kind of days, maybe you're, some of your empty nesters now, you remember those kind of days whenever you just had a hard time with your kids, especially when they were young, and you sit down in the bed at night with your spouse, and uh, there's a lot of days where Kim and I will look at each other and we'll sit down and kind of jokingly say, well, we didn't kill them and they didn't kill us today. So let's go to bed and let's try better tomorrow, <laughs> you know. And you begin to have those fears and, and you begin to think about, man, I sh man what, 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 what's going to happen? What if? What if they begin? And, and then here's what happens next. It's typically you sit down and uh, I'll pull out my phone and I'll open up Facebook and I'll start flipping through Facebook. And then I'll see some other family and I'll see some picture they posted um, of how they had this wonderful day with their kids or their kid had a great day at school or their kid won the championship. Um, and that thought comes into your mind. Why can't my kids just be like theirs? And then right in that moment, you go right into the comparison trap. I mean, it happens in a lot of areas of our lives. It happens in our marriages. You go through a rough spot in marriage, you look across the fence and you see the next family over and you think, well, why can't my spouse be like that spouse? Or you, with your, your kids, you think, well, why can't my kids be like their kids? And you begin to compare. You begin to, to look and think, man, I just wish they were like that. But you know what you don't see when you, when you play that comparison game? You don't see reality. You don't see the truth. Because all you see is their pluses versus your minuses. All you see is the good things about their life because they've done a good job of not letting you see the bad things. Um, and then you compare that to the bad things going on in your life. I mean, we all like to hide our, our weaknesses, don't we? 
We all like to hide our struggles, our failures. We want to create this public persona that makes us look like we got it all together. We don't want people to think that we're failures, that we're a mess, when in reality we all kind of are a mess. And so let me just, parents, let me just go ahead and let you in on a little secret here. Um, whatever bad things your kid does, my kid probably does too. And if it's not my kid, then it's probably someone else in this room whose kid's done the exact same thing. I was uh, talking with some parents a couple weeks ago, and one of, the, one of the moms said, well, man, I'm having a hard time with my kid doing this, this, and this, and this. And, and I looked at her straight, in the, and she was like, what should I do? And I told her, I said, when you figure out, you come tell me, because my kid does the same thing. You know, and there was that moment there where we all kind of said, okay, we're all just alike. We're all doing the same thing. Because here's the truth. There's never been a perfect set of parents, nor will there ever be a perfect set of parents. Adam and Eve raised a murderer in Cain. Isaac and Rebekah raised a trickster in Jacob. Jacob raised 11 sons who so hated the 12th son that they concocted a scheme to throw him in a pit, try to kill him, then sell him into slavery, and then lie to their dad for years and years and years about it. I mean, David's household was a mess, an absolute mess. I mean, the only perfect child to ever exist was Jesus, and Mary and Joseph left him behind in Jerusalem one time. And so there's no such thing as perfect parents. I mean, it's like the original Home Alone. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, that's where they got the movie, I guess. But here's the thing. For parents, your job is not to be perfect parents or to give your kids a perfect childhood. Your job is to point them to a perfect Savior. And to do that, you got to give them grace the same grace that Christ gave you. you got to aim their hearts consistently toward the Savior and trust the Lord with the rest. I think the most beautiful picture of this is Moses' mother. You think about the society that she lived in. She was living in Egypt. There was a command to kill all the Israelite babies. And here she is. She did everything she possibly could do to protect her child. She did everything she possibly could do to, to keep him safe. For as long as she possibly could. And then what did she do? She made a basket, placed him in a crocodile-infested river, and let go. And that's the life of a parent. That we live in a crocodile-infested world. A world in which there are those things that just want to eat our kids, don't want to consume them, want to destroy them. But you know what? We can't protect them all the time. We can't do everything for them for their entire life. And so what do we do? We give them grace. We give them consistent. We, we point them to the Lord for as long as we can, the best that we can. And then we have to simply trust the Lord with the rest. Let's pray with me. Father God, right now I lift up today our parents in the room especially. Because I know parenting is hard. I know it's a struggle. I know it's, there's a lot of days where you just go to bed thinking, I've just failed today. And so I lift them up to you and I ask that you would give them grace. Remind them of the grace that you've already given them in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would heal their hearts of the damage that sometimes that comparison and fear can do to them. But I pray that they would commit themselves parenting with grace to consistently pointing their children toward the Savior and then trusting you.
Father, I pray for the children in the room, and that's, that's all of us, because we are all the children of someone, regardless of our age. I pray that we would give the honor that is due. I pray that we would understand that the honor and respect that's talked about here is not because of what a parent does for us, but simply because of their position. And so I pray that we would learn to follow your lead. That just as the Son of God honors the Father, we are to honor our parents. Father God, if there are decisions that need to be made today, if there's some decision of rededication or church membership, or if there's someone today who needs to profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing the song of invitation?